And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The race is on, and it was yet another victory for Lewis Hamilton in the Bahrain Grand Prix, his 11th win of the season. But the big story of the race was Roman Grosjean escaping largely unscathed from a terrifying, fiery accident on the first lap of the race. I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to review all the action from Bahrain are Mark Hughes and Scott Mitchell. Scott, we should go to you first. You were likened to a a legendary fictional sleuth by one team boss after the race. I presume was that because you'd found out something that they didn't want you to? Was that some great news hounding on your part? No, you, as you well know, it's because of the moustache that I have uh, grown for November over the course of the last 29 days, uh, which um, Christian Horner must have um, either only just only noticed for the first time this evening or uh, only felt sufficiently impressed to comment for the first time uh, this evening. Um, so, yeah, that was quite that was quite nice. Obviously, I'm no... Uh, I'm I'm no Poirot. It doesn't take much uh, deducing either or detective work to um, to establish who the most fortunate Formula One driver is um, on the planet at the, at the moment, either, does it? That would be my um, that would be my sort of only attempt at uh, detective work this evening, and it's not even that impressive. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I might call you Hercule Poirot for the rest of the podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, now, on the scene was Mark Hughes, who I presume was probably close enough to the accident to be vaguely singed, given uh, he was in the media centre on the ground as he's uh, he's been let in this weekend. I guess a little bit of a strange atmosphere after that race. Yeah, just um, one of um, sort of massive relief, initial shock and massive relief, obviously. Um, yeah, there's something, I don't know, something probably deep in our genes that makes us fear fire, isn't it? It's, 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 it's just scarier than 
other conventional sort of accidents and it um yeah he was in there a long time and uh it was, i think it was somebody it was measured at 26 seconds before he emerged from those uh, from those flames so there was that horrible initial feeling and it, you know it looked as you'll have seen it looked like a like a holly a bad hollywood st- stunt you know you, you didn't quite believe what your eyes were telling you um because this is a 21st century Grand Prix, not 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 something from the 60s. So um, yeah, it was very very subdued, and uh, the race passed by, and everybody paid attention for those um, you know 90 minutes or so. Um, but the overriding feeling was um, yeah, it's just still here now. And obviously, it is the big story of the race. So logically, we're going to delve into it in in some depth at the start. So Scott. Obviously, Grosjean's accident, it was the result of him moving to the right across the bowels of Daniel Kvyat's AlphaTauri. Can you kind of break down exactly what happened and the the, the nature of the impact? Um, yeah, uh, there's, I guess the short version is that uh, the, the the violence of, of the crash came from the, the speed that, that Grosjean was, was taking, uh, the the system, the... the, the that's logging the speed sort of clocked him at 137 miles an hour before it um well like most of the car i suppose was was obliterated in the impact um he went off the road and the the barrier that basically separates the um it basically what's the word i'm looking for it sort of designates the entry for the recovery vehicles on the like the the escape road and that barrier is exposed. It's open. It's not got tires or tech pro or, or, or anything like that. Um, and it's in quite close proximity to the right-hand side of the circuit there, because that is not a typical place to see a, an F1 car go off or any, or any car, uh, go off. So there was a lack of time to decelerate after Grosjean got made, made contact with Daniel Kvyat and, and, and speared right. Um, so he was sort of went into the barrier while sort of still moving up, at, up, up the roads and at an angle rather than rather than head on um and the sheer force of of that impact probably combined with the angle of of the hit meant that the the barrier gave gave way obviously we haven't had a full investigation yet so we don't know how much we don't know if it was a small penetration of the of the barrier or a sort of whole wholesale tearing apart of it that then meant the front of the car dug in the rear of the car came round and the force tore the car in two with um, Grosjean inside the monocoque, which remained intact, then embedding itself in the second, in in, in, in part of the barrier. Uh, Halo still intact, fortunately. Um, but then, as if that wasn't terrifying enough, it's not that we could see it because it, it erupted in this into this huge fireball, as Mark was saying, just something so utterly terrifying about it it was like a it was like a ter- like a, just a terrifying horrifying mashup between f1's worst nightmares of decades past and some kind of hollywood stunt film or or action movie um so there was this huge explosion and grosjean was engulfed in 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 flames um and we didn't see any of what played out at the time. Obviously we only saw it once it turned out Grosjean was okay and they played a bunch of replays. Um, but they're just some stunning, stunning images of uh, Grosjean sort of 
being able to extract himself from the car. And then as a marshal is able to just, just beat down the flames enough, Dr. Ian Roberts is able to lean in and help uh, Grosjean get out of the car and jump the barrier to, to safety. Just astonishing that all he gets, he comes away from that with, I'm, I'm sure, a few bruises and some burns on his hand. But to have come away from such a dramatic, violent, just ferocious impact, then the fact that it was engulfed in the flames is just the most extraordinary thing I think I've seen in in any kind of racing, let alone in Formula One. And certainly the fire was the the really dramatic thing. And and as you referenced, he was in there for something like 26 seconds. And although this multi-layer Nomex is very good that the, the driver's overalls are made out of, they don't they don't last in fire for that long. So it's really, really dangerous from that perspective. But Mark, the really amazing thing looking at the aftermath was when we saw exactly what had happened in terms of the, the monocoque piercing through the, the armco and the kind of geometry of the, the cockpit, of the halo, of the barrier. This was very much in terms of the dynamics, the incident. It reminds us of some of those horrific accidents of, of the past, which had horrific outcomes when very occasionally you have seen cars do this. So it just it, it's the not only the fire, but also that just makes this the, the ultimate horror shunt, really, doesn't it? Yeah, if you get cars, it's very rare, but if you get cars managing to pierce in between the layers, it's a it's three-layer metal barrier there. If you, if you get a car managing to pierce through the gap, which, which the Haas did, obviously the potential is, is horrific. And, um, yeah, thankfully the, uh, the halo was there. The, I mean, the halo basically forced up the, 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 the barrier above, uh, you know, above his head. Cause if the halo hadn't have been there, that, that would have been him. Um, so without question, the halo saved his life. Um, the, 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 the angle of impact. So the sort of, trajectory that it went in at and the the fact that it embedded itself and came to an almost instant standstill while the energy was still in the car meant that the 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 the, the rear effectively tried to pivot around the front and and, and snapped off and then that that perhaps was a, a blessing as well actually because um it dissipated some of the energy that otherwise would have been coming through to the cockpit um so yeah uh um, it was it was lucky in a way that he you know the, 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 that he was able to get out um that there was just enough space to, for him to get out in between the the halo and the the, the remains of the barrier um but it, it it's also not luck it's 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 down to the huge advances we've made in in, in safety over the years the FIA and the teams together and you know that that to, to if you'd told someone from Oh, 25, 30 years ago, that that was a survivable impact and that the driver would just have um, second-degree burns on the back of his hands. No, it'd be otherwise okay. You would have been met with just disbelief. You would have been thought of as a, as a crazy man. But that's, that's a, a measure of how much progress has actually been made in, in construction and um, just in every every facet, really, every, every safety device on there that, um, that played its part. Yeah, it really is the... Um the sum of, of several parts because obviously the the, the halo gets a, a big chunk of the credit and some of the honestly some of the pictures are just astonishing aren't they where you where you could see the 
part of the car that Grosjean would have been stuck in the the, the monocoque itself within the barriers. But it is it is all of those systems working hand in hand, and you know the halo has absolutely categorically saved Roman's life with that secondary impact but it doesn't get to save his life without the work, the job that the survival cells done in, in the first in, instant and the, and the protective clothing sort of giving him half a chance to survive the flames. So it's this, that's what makes it so scary to me. It's just, it, this all happened in the space of what, if Grosjean's in the car in the flames for 20, 25 seconds, then probably the accident itself is lasting maybe 35, 40 seconds, like the entire, all stages of it. And every time it just gets there's something else. It's not just, oh, he's survived a big hit. Then he's, he's not had, I think as, as Lewis Hamilton puts it after the race, he, you know, he's not had his head sliced off or, or something horrific like that. And then he's been able to get out of the, out of the flames as well. Any one of those things on their own is a, a horrific accident and would count as one of the worst we've seen in F1 for years. The fact that you've got all three elements there, is gut wrenching, and I, I can only, I can only sort of extend like my thoughts and, and and best wishes to Grosjean's closer friends and family because that, though all those images afterwards properly shocked me right, right to my found foundation. I, I as I'm sure the pair of you have, I've worked in, in events with fatal accidents before. I remember Le Mans in 2013 when Alan Simonson lost his life. And the way my sort of head was processing everything and the way sort of different emotions were coming to the surface, it was like we'd just witnessed a fatal accident. That's how it felt for me. It was so, so shaking in such a fundamental way. So yeah, just so utterly relieved and happy that he's, I can't believe he's he's walked away from it as well. It's not even that he's survived it or escaped serious injury. He's literally walked away from that accident. Yeah, not only has he walked away, but... The team still intends to run him next weekend in the the second Bahrain race, the Sakir Grand Prix, provided he's fit to do so and he wants to. We don't currently know if that will be the case, but it's uh, the fact that even it it seems perhaps more likely than not that he will be fit. It'll it'll come down, I guess, to the burns and <laughs> whether he's been particularly shaken by it to, to decide it. One interesting thing was though that he he admitted himself in that little video he did on on Twitter, just a little half minute thing he put out where he was his relatively usual cheerful self. He did admit that he was initially against the halo when it was first proposed and when it first came in, but obviously had good reason to be very, very pleased about it. The the one thing, I guess, in that accident is most things worked broadly as as expected, but obviously there was some question mark about the barrier performance. Sebastian Vettel, in particular, raised the fact that the fact you can kind of pierce the barrier and and get caught up in it was a was a big concern. Do you think that's the the main area of focus in terms of this accident, Mark? Looking at the performance of the barrier and also the geometry of its of its angle and its location. Yes, um, I think that that's probably going to be the first um, area of investigation. Um, whether it'll be found to to, to be. I, I, I doubt very much whether it'll be found to be substandard or um, that it was in an obviously dangerous place because, as um, Scott mentioned before, that isn't the place where a car would naturally go off. Um, so it's 
it it, it was not really there to serve the, that 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 function. That that was um, interlocked and wheeled virtually on virtually on the straight, and it's always possible that you get there's any combination of things which will cause an accident. Obviously, but I don't think you could really say that that was a a poor bit of design, a poor bit of circuit design, but yes, obviously it's, it's going to be looked at. Um, and yes, that invariably when there's a serious incident like that, um, action is is taken, and we get um, new features which just build on that. You just that cumulative build of, of making the sport ever safer. And uh, yeah, I'm sure something will come out of it. The way Vettel characterised it was he. he I wouldn't say he was emotional, um, but he was obviously he was obviously very concerned about this particular aspect because he, he I think he said I've heard him say on at least three occasions that the main thing is that the guardrail failed, and he says he doesn't know he doesn't see ha- why or how it should fail in the fashion that it did, and what he means is the way that a car is able to partially go through it and get stuck and then have that horrible twisting motion that tears the the car apart and I think that's the key because you know Seb is a Seb is switched on he's not speaking just emotionally or or in the heat of the moment so because these kind of structures are designed to to like fail is not the right word but you know what I mean because the energy has to go somewhere you can't have a, a you can't have a barrier there that stops the car bang and like nothing happens that there's all sorts of technologies in place to try and sort of make sure that that energy sort of dissipates in the most responsible way possible. I think what I think what Seb's getting at is that there's if the barrier is going to get damaged or dented or break, that's one thing. But if a tiny part of it prizes open in a way that can create this, then that's something that needs to be looked at. The interesting thing was that also in terms of the amount of energy going into it and the unusual angle because it's it's a barrier that you don't normally expect to be to be hit is the force involved appears to have been enormous Gunther Steiner was asked what the the g-forces that were measured were and he said actually I, I have seen what they were measured as but I don't want to talk about them at this stage because they seem a bit high to me now it wouldn't be unusual for it to be a pretty high figure but the fact that Steiner was almost doubting whether the figures he'd seen were correct shows how how massive that impact may have been, 137 miles an hour at the last measured point before it hits. And with that kind of uh, impact is is huge. So interesting to see what what numbers are generated from that. The, the FIA keeps a very, very in-depth accident database that it builds up. Every big accident is investigated and, as as we said, will we'll feed into any future safety improvements. But it clearly had an effect on the drivers as well because, as you were saying earlier, Mark, the the fire has that sort of visceral impact doesn't it and the drivers will see it and realize that's not a normal accident so it was interesting to see how they all reacted Danny Ricardo was complaining after the race about the amount of replays that were being shown felt it was a bit savage that 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 happened so it shows that you know this has an impact on on the guys who are out there racing doesn't it yeah and um, Valtteri was talking about it he said he he watched it a few times because he wanted to understand what was how how it had happened and once he'd satisfied himself with that he stopped watching because he, he then took a conscious decision he needed to be thinking about the race that was to come but um yeah if you've, you've got it um 
being flashed in front of you for an hour and a half and you know you're about to get back in the car can't be nice yeah i've got i can understand where someone like ricardo was coming from as well talking about the the pictures being transmitted around the world although i personally don't have a problem with uh, with f1 doing that as Gunter steiner was saying it sort of shows that what's happened so people watching can understand it and see that the driver is fundamentally for the most part okay yeah and and i think toto wolf sort of sort of touched on quite a good argument is that in as soon as it was clear that roman was by and large okay you removed the possibility of the of the image sort of of the, the the incident um what's the word sort of the the narrative being taken out of f1's control and and f1 was able to be transparent and be like okay well here's exactly what happened so that you didn't have you didn't have the risk of someone catching you know image of the car like of of the fire or something and then fragments of footage being circulated on social media because you've got f1 tv access you've got the initial clip where we could see the the eruption of flames in 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 the background so there was there was enough there was enough capturable footage from what we had been able to see live that there would have been sort of bits and pieces out there, if you see what I mean. So the way F1 did it at least allowed a full understanding of the situation to be known. And as you pointed out, Ed, even Steiner's defending it, and that was his driver in in, in the car. So I do understand Daniel's very emotional reaction, and Sebastian Vettel was very much in Ricardo's corner. But I think there is, um, let's say... A bit more, uh, there's a bit more vi- validity in what F1 did, given it wasn't an accident with serious consequences. Very fortunately, <laughs> yeah. And they held off showing things until they knew what had happened. It's almost when they don't show it that I find it's worse because as soon as you see a replay, you think, "Oh, they think it's all right," uh, <laughs> which is almost the the positive sign. But yeah, that that's going to be an accident that is talked about for for a very very long time. Will be studied extensively and it's just positive that that Grosjean's got out of it do we know anything Scott about what might happen if Haas don't have Grosjean available for next weekend they have said that they've got they'll have a car one way or the other but what's the backup plan Uh, well um Gunsteiner wouldn't be drawn on it um this this evening Haas do uh, the the team does have two younger drivers on, on on its books of officially our reserve and development drivers Formula 2 racer uh, Louis Delatraz and uh, Pietro Fittipaldi, who I can't remember what the name was of the championship when he won it, but he won the championship formerly known as Formula Renault 3.5. <laughs> um, so he's got two good young drivers on his book. I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure if either of them actually have a super license. I'm pretty sure there was some debate about a year ago over Delatraz because he sort of seemed to insist that he did qualify for one a year, a year back. So that would be quite interesting to to see how that plays out. But, you know, Delatraz is in Bahrain because he's got his F2 season is is ending. Does he want to, can he be trusted to be pulled out of that? Is Fittipaldi good good enough? Neither of them have obviously got any F1 experience. So is it more likely that they try to turn to Nico Hulkenberg, the super sub of, of 2020? I'd imagine that the Hulk is less keen to get behind the wheel of a Haas than he was the racing point that he's driven three times this year. Um, but I, I think 
I think Haas have a few options, shall we say. It's just not, it is not crystal clear yet who they will turn to. Yeah, I guess Hulkenberg might as well do it if he's asked because it keeps his hand in, doesn't it? And it just makes him the standard person you call. But it's, yeah, an interesting situation. Obviously, Haas does have some drivers who've got connections. We're expecting Mick Schumacher to race there next year. Callum Eilert was going to drive in Friday practice at the Nürburgring, had that actually happened. But obviously, they've both got an F2 title decided to fight out uh, in the Sakir Grand Prix weekend. So unless they want to stymie one of their title challenges, then they're not really options. So I imagine Haas will be hoping that Grosjean can do it. I hope Grosjean will be back out because he's only got two Grand Prix left in his F1 career. Obviously, were he to think, I've had enough, I don't want to do any more, two more races, then yeah, that's entirely down to him. But it'd be nice for him to have a uh, at least a proper farewell, at least for it not to end like that. But yeah, I'm sure Gunther Steiner and everyone at Haas is putting some thinking into what the contingency plans are. But I suspect we'll have an answer fairly soon. And it sounds like Grosjean's injuries aren't too bad, but obviously burns on second-degree burns on the hands can create quite some discomfort for what they're doing. So uh, uh, we will see what, what happens there. But yeah, plenty of work for the team. They're going to have to build up a, a new car around a spare chassis. They've got all that there in Bahrain. And I'm sure that they'll have two first-rate cars, by their standards anyway, uh, running next weekend. Should we talk a bit more about the race as a whole, Mark? relatively straightforward. Lewis Hamilton won, seemed to have it under control. Few moments where Verstappen looked like he might make it interesting, but ultimately nothing really happened. Yep. Um, I think once they, uh, they'd established themselves in their, their places, it was uh, it would have taken something quite unusual um, for, for, for Max to put him under real pressure as long as um, Merck called it right. It was a high deg race, as it always is around this circuit. So the, you you have to really, when somebody was as, because I think Max could stay within sort of three three to four seconds um, of Lewis and had, had it in that first stint. And so basically, as soon as a gap opened out to drop into, you had to take it because if Max had got, got there before you, um, there's a very big difference. There's a very big um undercut effect so you 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 would have you could have lost the race by not being sharp enough on that but then after that it was really down to just um really there, there was no what once that once that first stop had been made and Merck called it and then Red Bull responded next lap there was no real strategic battle involved in it and it was just a question of did the Red Bull on on um, the hard tires have um, have an instant to have the pace of the to threaten the Mercedes on them on them on the medium um, and it it didn't really so he w- he was able to push him probably harder than he usually is able to um, but that that's that's about that was about it really uh, and they were in a completely different race to everyone else because Valtteri um, he's like a debris magnet this year. So he picked up a puncture on the first lap of the restart, and then just got another one for good measure at the uh, at the end there. And so he he was never in contention. He attempted a one stop, but the the, the deg rate was far too high for that. So he uh, he was he was in and out of the pits um, mostly uh, most of the evening. Yeah, not the luckiest season for Valtteri Bottas. Max Verstappen actually after the race said he was a little bit disappointed with the conservative strategy because he said they had the tyres to maybe force the issue a bit rather than responding to Mercedes at that first stop, he felt they should have been 
forcing the issue and uh, and making the first stop. But yeah, it's it's hard to see they could have done a great deal there. The Red Bull was strongish, but not quite strong enough. And of course, all of this, Scott, did open up the battle for for third place with uh, with Bottas down the order, came back through to eighth. Alex Albon eventually came through to take that third place late on, but only thanks to Sergio Perez losing it with an engine problem in the last few laps. What do you make of this from Albon? Is this a, a landmark podium or just a little bit of good fortune? Uh, a lot of bit of good fortune, I think. Um, I think it was a better better race. It was a better weekend um, after the crash in, in, in Friday practice. Huge, huge impact. Could have sent him the other way. Could have... Um, Given all of the pressure that he's um, he's sort of been under, the scrutiny, the fact that he's failed to rise to the occasion, he's been challenged to justify his place in the team. That's using their words, not not ours. Um, and since he was challenged to justify the team, he's been has he been out qualified by two midfield cars in Portugal, then thrown it away on the first lap. Uh, out qualified by two midfield cars again, I think uh, Imola or at least one. Um, and then spun late in that race and obviously he spun in, in Turkey as well um, but here bounced back from the crash in, in practice with fourth in qualifying too far away from Verstappen in terms of pace and only just ahead of the midfield but you know job done got onto the second row actually had a pretty good start and, and first lap he was a bit unlucky to to fall behind Bottas um, he, I think he was trying to follow through when Bottas got a bad start, but um, yeah, just sort of got a bit blocked in at the through the first sequence of corners, but and then just sort of settled into just a slightly slow race, <laughs> um, which would have been fifth on on merit. It was looking like it was going to be fourth because of Bottas. He, he never ever looked like getting close enough to challenge Perez, um, and in a race like this, as Mark was saying earlier, it's, it was boils down into that sort of like time management phase and, and and Perez is super good at that and it's been a weakness of Albon this year whether that's car characteristics setup or driver managing the, the the rear slip doesn't seem to be one of his sort of strongest attributes and he he was he was struggling but you know he's so far behind Max um I think what was the gap like 40 seconds at its biggest I think um before um obviously the the, the race changed and eventually Max even needed a another pit stop and was still sort of half a minute to the good, I think, or if not more. So um, it wasn't a good enough race in terms of pace. It's not where he needs to be. And apparently Max said something to that effect in Dutch, not in English, but to to, to Dutch television, perhaps. Um, And Red Bull sort of tried to play it down afterwards and be like, yeah, well, you know, this is more what you need for him. He's on the podium. He's, He's banked good points, but... He's nowhere near close enough to influence in the race. If Max was able to put pressure on Hamilton, he'd have been doing it solo, wouldn't he? Because the second car was nowhere near. So uh, it's one of those where on paper it looks more like what Red Bull need, but in reality it's still it's still only half a job. Albert himself said after the race that he was not fully satisfied. I did ask him a bit more detail about what would have fully satisfied him. And he, he sort of said he was 95% satisfied, but the fact that he had to rely on Perez's retirement to give him that podium is important. And the gap to Verstappen is the is the key measure for him. It's an interesting situation there with Red Bull. It did look a few weeks ago as if it, he was done and dusted, really. 
but there now seems to be still some doubt about it with Red Bull giving into the end of the season. So let's see what happens there. This won't have harmed his cause, but I'm not sure it's enhanced his cause perhaps as much as it might look on paper with a third place. And Mark, Sergio Perez, who currently doesn't have a drive, a real shame he didn't take one step closer to one of my favourite records, which is most races uh, on the podium without a win. That would have been his 10th podium. I think Heidfeld's got the record on 13. But just again, it's just Sergio Perez being Sergio Perez, isn't it? Yep, spotlit. Spotless, immaculate. Um, just just gets the... He always gets the ultimate result that the, the car is capable of getting. Um, doesn't always qualify it right on the outer edge of its possibilities, but yeah, he, he drags the result out of it that it um, that it, it warrants, and he, he does it without fail. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it seems bizarre. I don't know, we've been talking about it for weeks, haven't we? That he might not be in F one next year. Yeah, and actually, that that failure was a bit of a disaster for Racing Point, wasn't it? Because they, they'd already lost Lance Stroll and it's a big blow to their push for third in the Constructors' Championship. We should briefly talk about the Stroll incident. He ended up inverted at the restart after a clash with Daniel Kvyat. What did you make of that, Scott? Uh, hmm. I, I don't know whether I should bother trying to choose my words carefully now when it comes to these stewards' decisions. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I, I haven't, I haven't. There's been so much going on. I haven't actually read what Kvyat has to say about it. I'm very interested to, uh, to, to find out actually, because I, I think, I think, um, I think Stroll characterised it as saying, "Oh yeah, there's nothing, nothing I could do," or like the sort of some suggestion that it was uh, blame-free, shall we say? But I just, I've, always, I always think that if if you're on the outside and you hoy it into the apex, especially on the first lap when there are cars around you, are you not asking for trouble? Yeah, I think there was enough of a case there to say it could have been a racing incident. Kvyat wasn't completely out of line. It's that whole thing of wholly and predominantly to blame, isn't it? That was the the big question. Do you have a particular strong feeling on this, Mark? Yeah, I thought it was um, probably a slightly optimistic move from... Daniel to stick his nose there. Um, I, I thought I think Lance could have probably made more room, given the possibility that he was going to be there. Yeah, I really, I don't, I don't have that strong an opinion on it. It seemed bizarre that um, Kvyat was involved in both of the, both of the incidents. Um, the first one he was definitely innocent of. Uh, the second one, a little bit less. And of course, Kvyat didn't really make a huge impact in the race he was on the periphery of the points finished 11th in the end but wasn't able to uh to come back from those those early moments but stroll was fine fairly regulation as far as uh flipping a race car can be a, a regulation moment just a an extension of some of the misfortune that stroll's been having but that was a big blow in the battle for third in the constructors they're now 17 points behind mclaren mclaren had a pretty bad saturday but again good race pace norris fourth Sainz fifth, another just really good rounded weekend for the McLarens, wasn't it? And now they're, I asked Andreas Seidel about this, you're now kind of within within touching distance of making third place work. If they have two good two-car finishes in the last two races, they should make it over the line. 
Yeah, they were just a, a, a quality team with term two quality drivers and um, Sainz's first stint making those softs last as long as he did just just ooze class really and um, it, he, he made it he made it work from back in 15th place because of that problem he had in qualifying which locked the rear axle um, the car's not you know even among that class B group it's it's not the it's not the fastest car but they they operate it very very well and the the drivers deliver you know very consistently yeah it's one of those ones that's a little bit better in race trim at the moment and that's standing them in good stead but yeah they might almost be there now might they scott yeah i think so and i've I've said for a while that um i feel like or i have felt like the mclaren might lack the ultimate sort of performance potential of the other teams that have been vying for third place but they've just been there's just fewer reasons to doubt them um they they do just have a driver lineup that you can bank bank on every weekend to sort of get something good out of it and i completely agree with mark i thought signs first stint was absolutely brilliant and just okay I, I i can't remember exactly what happened on the first start obviously lando's got quite lucky hasn't he that we had the restart because he picked up the damage which obviously would have seriously compromised his race had we stayed green and, and not had Roman's um, horrific accident. But you just don't see them doing silly things like, like what Stroll did because what, what, while we were talking there, I got, I've got the Kvyat on board up because I, 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 didn't, I didn't really buy into the suggestion from Stroll that Kvyat came out of nowhere. And you know, he, it, Stroll's made an error through the S's. Kvyat's right behind him and Kvyat is sort of inside like moves to the inside really early going into the hairpin and it's it, it's not it does he doesn't come out of nowhere like Stroll said plus Stroll's also just made a mistake in the S's on the opening lap and there were cars around him so you know you know that you're going into this corner with, with in a pack and he has just turned into the apex as if there's no, no reason for a car to be there and these sorts of things are super super critical in in that midfield fight and Perez, Perez sort of made a misjudgment in Portugal. Do you remember when he tried to go around the outside of Verstappen to take advantage of Verstappen's error there? But that was more just sort of like you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. I'm going to go for it around the outside. This is just bad racecraft from 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 Stroll, really. And I don't think Norris and Signs are really guilty of that. So I I I suspect that I suspect that they'll sort of be able to tick over the second Bahrain race in Abu Dhabi and yeah, Perez will by rights probably win class B both times, but McLaren will win out in the constructors championship. Yeah. They're in a very good position now. Now in that midfield fights, Pierre Gasly was again up there. He finished six in the end. He was trying to make those hards last to the end of the race. Did the safety car save Gasly? Do you think he looked like it was sort of touch and go to, uh, to hold off Ricardo? I think it probably did. Ricardo was catching a, a rate of knots and didn't seem to have too much difficulty in finding places to pass. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a. I don't think it was the wrong strategy. Even even had he had we not had that safety car and he'd been passed by Ricardo, I think um, it was just the playing out of the, of that particular strategy. It's how it would have worked, and I think it, I think generally it, it worked worked well. Um, I think that's about where where the car would have finished um, on a more conventional strategy. So, yeah, he did, a, he did a great job hanging on to it as long as he did. 
and just continuing a very, very fine season. There's not much we haven't already said about Gasly in praise of him. So another another strong performance. Ricardo in seventh place, a bit disappointing for Renault, wasn't it? They had qualified pretty well. Yes, finished in a similar sort of area with, with Ricardo seventh, but they'll be a bit disappointed with that, won't they? Because that's pretty much finished off their third place aspirations following the disaster they had in uh, in Istanbul. So bad weekend for Renault, Scott. Yeah, definitely. Um, you saw that bit in the, uh, well, I was about to say in sort of uh, towards the end of one of the stints, but then it got revived at the start of the next stint as well with um, Ocon and Ricardo just sort of left to fight each other, really, weren't they? They they just they just haven't had the the competitiveness, the raw speed to to, to take on McLaren, let alone racing points. They've sort of been left to to sort of pick up the pieces in in, in that midfield. So I think they'll be sort of I think they'll be sort of relatively. I don't know if relieves the right word because ultimately they have um, they have sort of tumbled uh, out of contention now, uh, having led that third place battle a while ago. But to come out of that race with um, with, with a double points finish, uh, it is as much as they could have hoped for, isn't it? Really, they 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 just didn't ever really look like they had the the, the performance of their immediate rivals. And Ricardo ended up finishing ahead of, of Bottas, as we talked about, in eighth place. <laughs> it's it's just been a really difficult run for Bottas. He's now 131 points behind Hamilton. Now, I'm not going to claim that uh, he wasn't outclassed over the season by uh, by his teammate, but that gap rather exaggerates the, uh, the deficit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, he's he's on the verge, well, not on the verge, but it's not, it's not inconceivable that Hamilton's going to set a new... Um, uh, what well, what do you call it? Uh, margin of victory record in the championship. Well, what is it? It must be the hundred and hundred and fifty five points or something like that that Vettel won by in twenty thirteen. And Lewis is not a Lewis is not a million miles away from that now. And that 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 is phenomenal when you think of the performance advantage that Mercedes has had over every other team this for the whole season. But that's not an indicator that Bottas has been horrifically bad. I think it's it's more just how ridiculous the freak events he suffered this year have been because even if he and even if he lost seven or eight points to Lewis every single weekend, he wouldn't be this far off. Yeah, you're right. It's 155 points the the margin of victory record, although obviously the uh the 25 points for a win has only been in place since 2010. So that slightly distorts it, but even if you convert it into old money, that's uh, that's a, a massive margin. So, yeah, Bottas will probably come into this weekend and thought, yes, I'll, I'll start building some momentum for next year, and he's ended up scratching his head in qualifying as to why Hamilton's so quick, and then coming away with four points. So, yeah, a hard hard one for him. Esteban Ocon was ninth, qualified well, only two thousandths off Daniel Ricciardo, but seemed to struggle a little bit in the race as the Renaults were getting in each other's well. Mainly it was Ocon getting in Ricciardo's way. Uh, in the race and it just didn't quite seem like Ocon had the same pace as Ricardo did it no and I think um obviously they were, they were very closely matched in qualifying but I think that picture was um slightly skewed in Ocon's favor actually because it, it was it was a re- result of Daniel not doing a good run in Q1 and so needing an extra set of tires which meant he only had one um, one new tyre run in Q3, whereas Esteban had two goes at it 
So it looked closer than it really was, and I think the natural performance order that we more usually see between of a, a couple of tenths per lap, um, I think that's what we, you just saw that playing out in the race. Yeah, and they cats could have been a little bit sharper in terms of not holding each other up, uh, in terms of the uh, the orders from the pit wall, but it wasn't too much of a compromise overall. But yeah, it's been a funny season for Ocon. He's made good progress, but... He needs to really be starting next season at the absolute top of his game, doesn't he? Because he's got Alonso coming in alongside him. You know, Ricardo's been an incredibly tough teammate, but he's going to get no respite from having Alonso there. We know how good Ocon is, but he's he's probably fallen a little bit short this season, hasn't he? Of, of what we'd expect, because we know how good he can be. He's been good, but fallen short of very good. Yeah. Um, I Because I hold... Daniel in such high regard, I didn't think Ocon was going to match him. Um, I, 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 you know, we saw he was a very close match with Sergio Perez and quite an early stage in his career, which was impressive. Um, and I think if he went back to be Sergio Perez's teammate now, he would be very closely matched again. I think um, there was just a general sort of... Um, Underappreciation of the level that uh, Daniel, Daniel was at, and I, I don't think um, I, I didn't. I, I would have been amazed actually if if Ocon had, had gone bat to bat with Ricciardo this year. Yeah, well, Ricciardo is an outstanding driver, isn't he? Scott Charles Leclerc came home tenth. A point for Ferrari is a pretty good result considering their struggles this weekend. Power sensitive circuit all over the place in qualifying. Leclerc was struggling. If it wasn't the front end going, it was the rear end, and I must admit, I expected him to struggle for points, given that sort of balance isn't normally good for tyre management, but he managed to scrape one ahead of Kvyat. But that's, I guess, just where Ferrari was this weekend, really, wasn't it? Yeah, well, he wouldn't have um, he wouldn't have got the point, would he, without um, Perez's retirement and and obviously helped by, by the other racing point being out of the picture as well. So really, all things being equal, it was a 12th, 12th place finish, um, which was... Would have been Ferrari's worst um, worst result since uh, the double DNF at, at Monza, I would imagine. Um, and performance-wise, I think it must be their worst since the race in um, Mugello. Uh, so yeah, just a proper uh, proper bump back down to earth after what has been a really nice run for, for the team. And obviously, Sebastian Vettel had that podium at, at Istanbul that Leclerc threw away on the on the last lap. But yeah. 10th place, I salvaged the point, nothing to write home about, but I would imagine they'd absolutely take a 10th place again seven days from now <laughs> on the even more power-sensitive Bahrain Outer, which is surely just going to make life even harder for the Ferrari teams. And Sebastian Vettel had a difficult day as well. He he actually out-qualified Leclerc for only the fourth time this season, and only the second time he's done it in dry conditions, but the race went pretty horribly for him. He finished... 13th he snuck in a, a spin at turn 11 relatively early on as well shortly after being passed by Bottas that, that put him to the back just another one of those difficult races for, for Vettel I don't think that Vettel spin was necessarily caught on the uh, on the world feed at the time I didn't, I didn't spot it live but that was the the bit that led to the message that he found it undrivable so after recent slight improvements for Seb Mark that's been uh, a bit of a step back hasn't it? Yeah, and also he was very, very upset at being bullied out of the way at the uh, after after the restart by Leclerc, and um, you know made the point that maybe it would have been better to crash to make the point. He was he was very angry, and um, 
you know, on a day when it just so it's in such an accident, uh, it's, you could see the there was there was an in car shot early in the in, in the restart where Charles hadn't sort of bullied him out of the way, then then went round two other cars, and you could just see the the, the sort of how how much he was prepared to put on the line, um, you know, cold tires and just just dancing the car around, just taking every little sniff of an opportunity, um, high risk, and he made it work. And you just, I can imagine that Seb, on a day like this especially, might just be thinking, oh, really? You know, did, is this, is this, is that the level of um, risk I've got to, take to, to to get something and I'm not sure he can find it within himself on, on days like this when the car's just not there to put in a performance like that um, you know to just to me that the, the looked a, a very stark contrast today in, in desire between the two Ferrari drivers yeah, I think that's a fair observation and it was very pointed what Vettel said over the radio wasn't it because he not only complained about the movie said, oh, we talk about this in meetings to give each other room, etc. This is like Austria, obviously referring to the Styrian Grand Prix start thing. So it was interesting that Vettel did choose to make that very public, shall we say. He didn't really leave anyone to join the dots. It was, right, I'm going to make it clear what's what's going on here. But ultimately, 13th place, yeah, another, another nothing race. But it did mean that ahead of him was George Russell and the Williams. A decent race for, uh, for Russell. Obviously, Made it to Q2, I think the ninth time this season. Wasn't quite enough going on for him to, to pick up a point, but good week, good weekend all round in the end for Williams because Latifi was 14th as well. So that's kind of a 1-2 in Class C, as we like to call it, ahead of the Alfa Romeos. Of course, there was only one Haas, Kevin Magnussen finishing 17th, the last real finisher ahead of Perez, who I think was still classified, down in 18th place. But it just sort of sums up the way things go for Russell, doesn't it, Scott? That the weekends where it sort of all goes nicely and he has sort of a decent, strong race are the ones where there's not enough going on to pick up the points. So he's had some fine drives, but the mistakes, those couple of, that that, that mistake in Imola and the the restarts, the final restart of Mugello are the, the ones that everyone focuses on because that's where points slipped by him. Yeah, and you know, not obviously not to trivialise the uh, the accident that we saw we saw today, but if a race... That, involve, that involves a, a monster fireball and a car being split in two, and then at the second attempt at the race start, a car ends up upside down, uh, and there's an engine failure, three laps from home for for one of the guys on, on the podium. One of the Mercedes is is, is is put to the back at the beginning because of a puncture and suffers a puncture on the final lap as well. And even in all of that, Russell manages to beat a Ferrari. And he's still two places outside of the points. <laughs> you just think, what has he got to do? How how can things sort of fall his way? I I think I don't. He he will need a lot to go in his favour. But I think Bahrain out is quite a decent opportunity for him to maybe maybe nick a point because it could be quite an interesting race. I'm I'm wondering how sort of chaotic the race itself will be. But he should absolutely go in with expectations of beating both the Alphas and Hasses. Because the the Ferrari powered cars, I think, are just going to be weaker. He'll beat Latifi, you know. Maybe he'll be able to beat Seb in a ailing Ferrari, and if he's sort of on the form he was on today, and you know that's putting him into sort of fourteenth on merit potentially. And okay, that can be a 
sometimes that can be a really long way from the points, but you never know. That sort of it's that kind of that's where you need to be in Class C, isn't it? Fourteenth, fifteenth on merit, and then try and hope that you have a bit of help. So I think there is still one opportunity. I would imagine that Abu Dhabi is massively out of the question, but you know maybe maybe chance for one. Roll, last roll of the dice and end the year with that final points finish because he's got to be getting close to another one of your preferred statistical records Ed yeah I think he's now level with uh, Max Chilton in terms of we might be one ahead now in terms of starts without a point but he's chasing down Luca Padoa who's got 50 starts without a point it'll take him a while but he can get there next season if he uh, if it carries on like this but no, points finish is inevitable for him eventually and he was able to beat the the two Alfa Romeos as Latifi was able to as well. Raikkonen picked up some damage. Well, in fact, he picked up some damage twice because he had some front wing problems. They changed the front wing and then he had some some damage later and Giovinazzi finished behind him. They were sort of trying a, a, an effective one-stop race, but uh, I think they stopped late on under the safety car because there was no loss to it in case there was a restart, but they finished ahead of, ahead of Magnussen. But it's interesting what you said about this weekend's, this coming weekend's Bahrain race, the Sakir Grand Prix on the the Bahrain, the the outer circuit, the the oval circuit, as it's been slightly misleadingly characterised as. But Mark, this is this is one of the most extraordinary circuits the World Championship has ever visited, hasn't it? Short, sharp. Was it four corners? If fifty four, fifty five second lap, I would imagine probably quicker. Yeah, it's 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 going to be it's going to be absolute. Absolute madness. I think Scott, you should uh, tweet your on-board uh, lap you did from the circuit. Tweet that on Monday morning so people can find it. Can I have another go? Because I've definitely got quicker since then. I don't know. You, you'll end up spending all night on it. Probably best just to stick with what you've what you've got. But but Mark, this this is going to be ridiculous, isn't it? It's going to be. It's going to be all sorts of um, yeah oddball situations arising from it. Um, Q one, I would imagine, is going to be amazing. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's not going to be incident free. Um, and yeah, there are going to be all sorts of unintended consequences of um, you know, the, 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 the sort of ad hoc. <laughs> it's it's in being imposed upon F one by the pandemic. It's 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 a in effect, it's just a, a way of trying to um, distinguish the races more. That we went on, went, by necessity, we've had to race more than once on a, on the same at the same venue. But um, yeah, it's it, it. I think if we're going to have a shock random result, you know, other than Pierre Gasly at Monza, this is this is where it's going to be, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think it's great. There's a, a bit of variety. The circuit, it's approved to the right level, so it's safe. It's just very short and qualifying. Q1 is going to be messy, isn't it? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we get drivers on hot laps catching up themselves, backing up uh, <laughs> preparation for their uh, for their own lap. So short is the lap, but it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one and. I think we'll it'll just tease out different characteristics in the car. It's always very interesting to compare the performance on these back-to-back races. Interestingly, where we've used the same circuit previously at the Red Bull Ring and at Silverstone, we have seen some slightly different performance patterns. If you look at Silverstone, dramatically different with the with the different conditions and then different downforce levels people were were running. So this this is kind of that, but multiply with the different configurations is going to be great. This year it's going to be absolutely fascinating. So who's um Who's going to be the big? Who's going to be the big uh, casualty of Q1? Do you think there's going to be? There's got to be someone, hasn't there? Someone that that goes out that shouldn't in Q1. Yeah, maybe more than one. Yeah. <laughs> Latifi, Latifi in the top ten. Are you saying, Mark? Yeah, yeah. 
That's 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 what I'm saying. And um, yeah, Albon on pole. <laughs> now you heard it here first from Mark Hughes. We'll play that clip if he does indeed get on pole position. That's the kind of performance that uh, Alex Albon will be hoping for, certainly. But yeah, might be asking for a, for a little bit too much. But it's certainly going to be good to have uh, have another version of Bahrain. Of course, the third version of the Bahrain circuit because we raced on the the ultra long. Is it the endurance uh, configuration? It's called used once in 2010, which didn't prove very popular. Very much the opposite of what we've got here, which is uh, nice and fast and indeed not an oval. Obviously, we will bring you all the coverage from that on the race next weekend. And of course, we'll have a podcast next week all about it. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen loads there about Grosjean's crash. There's an analysis that we put together with Gary Anderson based on the initial impressions. Lots of feedback from drivers and there'll be all sorts of stories appearing there mark hughes and his race analysis will appear on monday morning my driver ratings who knows what we'll get from scott mitchell he's always the wild card on the monday but i'm sure it will be good do check out our youtube channel to search for the race and also listen to some of our sister podcasts including the gary anderson f1 show where he tells you what's wrong with f1 and how to fix it so do join us next week where we'll bring you everything you need to know about f1's not an oval race